which was about Advent, and then we moved on to the war, which is why we now have a dragon in our nativity scene at our house, by the way. And then last week, my buddy Tony talked to you about the woman, about Mary's role in Christmas. And then today is all about the wonder to, to finish out my alliteration for the season, okay? We seem to be in a crisis of wonder these days. People have far more mind-numbing informational bits coming their way than they do have jaw-dropping experiences. And that's sad because the word wonder appears in some form in the Bible over 109 times, but it rarely appears in our life. And that is a big problem. That's why I have a tattoo on my arm. You can't see it today that says, live in awe and wonder because it reminds me of that truth. I love what poet Mary Oliver says about this, and we'll put it up on the screen. She says, let me give you instructions for living a life. Pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it. That's what she says, and I love that. There are so many things in this world that can and will bring us a sense of wonder if we'll just do what Mary says and pay attention Pay attention. Let me give you a few things in case you haven't noticed these things. Hail. Hail just blows my mind, okay? We take it for granted, but it blows my mind. It's so heavy, I don't understand how it stays up in the sky at all. And when it falls, it can go up to 100 miles an hour, and it can be up to the size of a volleyball is the biggest one. By the way, if it's hailing volleyballs, don't go outside to look at that. Just a little helpful information there. But it's like a one-minute miracle. It's here, and then it's gone just as fast. That should fill us with wonder. Or how about the automatic car wash? Come on, a machine that pulls your car through a building while cleaning it and you can just listen to music? That should fill you with wonder all the time. Plus, the brushes look cool, okay? Then there's candlelight. Everything looks better in candlelight. Rooms look better on candlelight. Some people in here actually decorate their Christmas trees with actual candles, like old school style, okay? People even look better in candlelight. If you go to try on a swimming suit in a store and you come out of your dressing room and you look in the mirror and it's under fluorescent lights, like unfortunately we have, uh, hopefully will change someday, your first thought is, oh my gosh, I'm never going out in the public looking like this, okay? But if you change into a swimming suit and come out and all there is is candlelight, your first thought is, I am a hottie. I... I am so attractive, the fish in the ocean are going to be attracted to me, right? And then there's this. This is something I personally experienced. Sunset in the Grand Tetons. Look at this picture. That is no joke, okay? That is no joke, and it really looks like this. The picture doesn't even do it justice. It fills me with wonder to be in this area. And then sometimes really surprising things that you never would have guessed would happen fill you with wonder, like this picture. I love this. A nun on a motorcycle. That is just not something you wake up in the morning and go, I bet you all see a nun riding a motorcycle today, okay? It fills me with wonder. Our world is full of wonder-inducing items. If we'll just pay attention, and Christmas is one of those things. So today, I want to share three things with you about the Christmas story that every year fill me with wonder, and I hope it'll do the same for you and launch you into this holy holiday on a good note. First is this, the curiosity of the Magi. I want to read out of Matthew chapter 2 about these incredible people. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, 
During the time of King Herod, not a nice guy, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have actually come to worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed, or they were filled with great joy. Now the magi mentioned here are interesting characters because they're often called the three wise men. Even though the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it say there was only three of them, and it doesn't even say they were particularly wise. Most theologians believe they are from Persia, and they are part stargazer, part scientist, part magician, but not pull a bunny out of a rabbit, I mean a rabbit out of a hat kind of magician, more of the black magic variety of magic. They're probably sorcerers, most likely Zoroastrian priests. So these are not the kind of people that you think would show up at the first ever Christmas party, okay? But yet here they are, and God is always doing that. He's always working in and through the lives of outsiders and unexpected people. Well, the Magi, it says they see a star, but if you're into science at all, you realize this is no ordinary star because it appears, disappears for a while, reappears, and travels around leading these people towards Jesus. Most stars don't do that. I'm 56 years old. I've never seen a star come out of the sky, come down to earth, and move around. So many, i got to tell you this, all throughout the Bible... When God is imminently present, bright light is a result. And that light isn't called in Scripture the Shekinah or the brightness of the glory of God. So most theologians believe that these magi weren't following an actual physical star like we see on all the Christmas shows, but they were following God's glory, the brightness of the glory of God's presence as that brightness led them to the place where Jesus was. But think about these magi. They pack up all of their worldly belongings and they travel to a foreign land in a foreign culture where they were stood out like sore thumbs in order to worship and give very expensive gifts to someone they'd never met before, all because this person was born under an unusual light. That doesn't sound crazy at all, does it? Okay? Who does that? Who does that? I saw this picture as I was getting ready for this message, and it's a picture of a woman named Ocean Rawlings, okay? And she's an interesting person. She's an oceanographer, appropriate name for that, and she specifically studies shark. Look at this picture of her swimming. Yeah, that... That just bothers me, <laughs> okay? She, most people when they see a shark, and this is a humongous, the world's largest known great white shark at this time, which is just off the shore of Waikiki at that moment, okay? And most people when they see a shark this large, they get out of the water. I would, I would not only get out of the water, I'd get the boat to shore and I would go as far inland as I possibly could. Ocean doesn't do that, she actually goes into the water. And the first time I saw that picture, I thought, who, who does that? Who does that? And that's what you're thinking right now. Who does that? Nobody should do that. The Magi showing up to see Jesus must have caused all the people in their homeland and all the people in Judea to ask that same question. Who does that? Who makes this kind of journey to worship someone they'd never seen before? But their holy curiosity kept driving them forward in their life. At one point, they asked these religious leaders, where is this person born under unusual light? 
And the religious leaders were in Jerusalem, and they said, it's in Bethlehem. This person's in Bethlehem. So the Magi went there. So how crazy is that? The religious leaders, the one who should have been there at the birth of Jesus, stayed in Jerusalem. The Magi went to Bethlehem. The religious leaders studied all about God. The Magi got to see God. And here's where it gets personal for all of us. I believe that the same holy curiosity that was percolating inside of these magi, driving them to make this journey, is percolating inside every single one of us in this room. It might be covered up, but it's there. And when we pay attention to that curiosity, we start to ask a lot of great questions in our life. Questions like, what can I do? What can I learn? What can I see? How can I help? And then the biggie asking the same question the Magi asked, who is this person born under this unusual light? Who is this Jesus King? And how can I get closer to him? Oh, that is so great. The Magi's curiosity fills me with wonder because it was so big and so compelling and so life-changing for them. But what also fills me with wonder is knowing that that curiosity is in all of us. And I can't wait to see what that holy curiosity percolating inside of you right now is going to do in your life this next year. What questions is it going to cause you to ask? What adventures is it going to cause you to go on? What people is it going to cause you to serve? What experiences with Jesus is it going to lead you into? Ah, it's going to be such a great year. So that's the first thing that fills me with wonder. The second thing is the silence of the shepherds. Let's look at a Luke chapter 2 at the shepherds. Can we pop this up on the screen? Because I don't have it in my mind. There it is. And there were shepherds. I told you they were there. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby because that's where shepherds are, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Okay, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, wrapped in strips of cloth, and lying in a manger. Now, the shepherds in the Christmas story, and you've heard the Christmas story over and over, they're often portrayed as these smelly, stinky, dirty lowlifes, okay? And granted, there was probably a lot of foul smells wafting around this area, okay? A lot of farm stink going on because there were sheep there. But these shepherds were not lowlifes. In fact, they were believed to be priests. And this is why. In this area, just outside of Bethlehem, the remains of a tower, a two-story tower, were recently discovered. And it's called Migdal Eater, or the Tower of the Flock. Shepherds uh, um, at this time were actually priests. The priests would help to watch over these particular flocks from the tower, from Migdal Eater. That's why it says they watched over the sheep at night. They were up in the tower. And as soon as a lamb was born, they would rush down and they would gather this lamb and they would wrap the lamb in strips of cloth. They would swaddle it and then lay it in a manger to make sure nothing happened to it. And this unblemished lamb was then taken to the temple and offered as a sacrifice because back then people were living in the blood sacrifice system and they believed offering a lamb, an unblemished lamb, would appease God and would make it available for them to receive forgiveness from God. Well, now back to the first Christmas. These shepherd priests are told by an angel there'd be a sign for them in Jerusalem. 
which was not far away. So they rush over to Jerusalem, and what, or to Bethlehem, rather, sorry. And what do they see? They see Jesus wrapped in cloth, swaddled, <clears throat> lying in a manger. And that would have been a sign for them. And this is what it would have been a sign of. This gory, bloody animal sacrifice system that we're in is no longer needed because somehow this king, this Jesus person, will be the reason we can have our sins forgiven, the reason we can walk through life with a clean slate. But think about these shepherds. In the hours leading up to this amazing event, they were watching over the sheep by night, is that not just a recipe for boredom? There's some sheep not too far from my house on the way to the airport. I don't know if you've ever looked at sheep for that long. Sheep are not the most exciting of animals. They really don't do anything. They just kind of stand there. So watching them during the day is no special treat. But watching, them over, watching over them from a tower at night, that is just a snooze fest, people. I don't even know how they stayed asleep, okay? But here's the important thing about their boring job. There was all kinds of silence in their life, and silence is a gift. Silence also happens to play a big role in Christmas. It's probably why the song Silent Night that we just sang has been such a long-enduring hit, because all of us know, we sense deep down, that silence is important in our spiritual journey, and we're right it is an important part of our spiritual journey. In America, we have the story of the little drummer boy, which he annoys me to no end, just to be honest with you, but it's also actually absurd because no pregnant mother wants an annoying adolescent boy in the birthing room banging his ba-rumpa-pum-pum rhythms on a drum. Can you imagine that? Some of you have given birth. Your children are in here. When you were giving birth, did you ever think, man, you know what this room is missing? <laughs> a drummer. <laughs> There's no way you thought that. If this drummer would have been at the actual birth of Jesus, I'm sure Mary would have said, let me see those sticks and just impaled this little kid with the sticks. But we have stories like that in America because in our culture we believe, ooh, louder and noisier is better. No, it's not. Silence is crucial, it's necessary, and it's good. Look at these verses. These are just a couple of verses out of the Bible, out of a myriad of verses about silence. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. How do you recognize God's presence? In stillness, in quietness. Look at this out of the book of Habakkuk, which is one of the most phonetically pleasing books in the Bible to say, Habakkuk, okay? The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Silence is so appropriate. It's so necessary. Silence is crucial because it takes us from just hearing a story to actually being a part of a story. Let me explain this. There was a book. I'm a motorcycle rider. You probably don't know that. I didn't own a car for a while. I just rode around on a motorcycle, which in Eugene sucks, okay? I just got to tell you that. It's freezing in the winter on days like this, but I did it. I don't know why I did it, and I love motorcycles. There's a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and the author says this. Don't check your brains out because this is not about motorcycles so much as life. He says this. When you drive in a car, you're a spectator. You observe the changing landscape through the frame provided by the car's window. But when you ride a motorcycle, you are in the landscape. You are in contact with it all. You are in the scene. 
I love that part of that book because it's always better to be a part of a story in a scene than it is to just observe a scene from a distance. That's why I get so sad whenever I go to special events and people always break out their phones and they're busy filming or taking pictures and they're missing out on actually being a part of what they're at. Put your phone away and be in the wedding. Put your phone away and be in the game or be in the concert. And it's the same with Christmas. Please, this year, I beg of you, don't just hear the story again. You've heard it a thousand times. Instead, be in the story. Don't let the chaos and busyness of the season act like a windshield that keeps you separated from the story of Christmas. Instead, sometime this next week, do this. I Please, I do this. It'll be my gift to you. Put down your phone. Put down the business. Turn off the television and sit in silence doesn't have to be a long time, but sit in silence and meditate on the story of Christmas. Feel, feel the pressure that's on Mary as it dawns on her, I'm holding God in my arms. Wow, this parenting gig just got a little more challenging. Can you imagine the pressure on her? Feel the ache with Joseph. The reason there was no room for them at the inn The reason they had to go to the inn, try the inn in the first place is because his family, who was from this area, didn't want he and Mary to stay with them due to the fact that they didn't want the scandal of an unwed pregnant teenager being a part of their lives. Feel that ache of rejection that he had. Percolate with the curiosity of the magi. Rejoice and sing with the angels. The shepherds spent hours in silence the night before Christmas. And that silence was the vehicle that got them into the story of Christmas and got them to a place where they can see Jesus. And it'll do the same for you. Your silence will get you into Christmas and help you with the eyes of your heart to actually see and experience Jesus. One of my heroes, I've told you many times, is Mother Teresa. She, the more I read about her, the more I'm just fascinated with her life. And she said this. This is, such, this is a tattoo-worthy quote if ever there was one. God is the friend of silence. In fact, that very well might be my next tattoo. I'm going to be covered with tattoos by the time I'm done being a head pastor here, okay? Okay, so the third thing and final thing that fills me with wonder during Christmas is this. God became a human Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 14. Pop that on the screen. The Word, speaking of Jesus, he's what God has to say to us. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us or pitched his tent among us. I am just old enough. I'm not super old yet like some of you, but I'm just, just barely old enough to remember some of the first missions to the moon. I I still remember him as such a vivid memory for me, Um, and it seems so impossible. I remember it being in fourth grade, and they brought in a black and white television. Yes, those were a thing back in the day. And they interrupted our normal class schedule so we could watch some of the goings-on on these moon landings. And we were mesmerized as kids. We were thinking, how can this be? I can see the moon in the sky at night, and I don't know how far away it is, but it's far There's no way we should be able to get there. And yet I'm watching on television. They're telling me that people are walking. Of course, as a kid, you go outside and go, I wonder if I could see them through my binoculars. (laughs) Remember doing some, okay, maybe not. You didn't do that, okay? But as mind-blowing as that journey was from here to the moon, it doesn't compare to the truth we just read that God became human and he exited paradise to live among us. That's an incredible journey. 
Most of the time when we try to describe God, we use big words like omnipresent and omniscient and powerful and almighty and all-knowing and all these things. And that's good, and those are appropriate. But during Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God got small, really small, baby small, fit in a manger small, depending on others for his well-being small. God's, all of his godness somehow was squeezed into a tiny body And that just fills me with wonder. But why is it so important that God became human and made that journey to live with us? Several reasons. First of all, it shows us that God really, really loves us. You know all those mushy love songs? I hear them all the time. I just turn on my radio when I'm doing my commute. And you'll hear these songs of, oh, I would climb every mountain and I would swim every ocean just to be with you one more time. And I listen to those, and I'm not a cynical person. I'm very optimistic. But I listen to those particular songs and I go, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You're probably 19 years old. You'd get halfway up, not a mountain, but like the first hill. You wouldn't make it up Spencer's Butte. You'd get halfway, you'd be sweaty and tired and go, not worth it. And you'd turn back and you'd have another love interest by dinner, okay? (laughs) God has more gumption than that. Jesus had more gumption. He exited paradise. He squeezed through a gooey birth canal. He was born in a barn. And by the time he was two, there was already an attempt to take his life. This was no easy journey. Every Christmas, our hearts should thrill to the fact that we have a God that would go to such great lengths to be that intimate with us. Second reason it's so important that God became human and made the journey to be with us, it it means that he understands us. Jesus didn't just pretend to be human. He was human. He wore diapers. He spit up. He grew up. He ate food. He worked. He faced rejection. He laughed. He cried. The whole enchilada of our humanness, God experienced. Look at this great verse out of Psalm 139, verse 3. It's talking about God. God, you are familiar with with all my ways. Yeah, that means God understands us. He gets us because he was one of us. I just finished reading, actually I'm one chapter away from finishing this book about this kind of irreverent woman (laughs) that decided to be a missionary and she labels herself the world's worst missionary and she probably was, okay? And it's so great. But she decided to pack up her family and move to Costa Rica to tell people the good news about Jesus. And she was so excited and she goes, it'll be no problem living in Costa Rica because I vacationed there twice. (laughs) Oopsie, okay? When she arrived at Costa Rica to actually live there, she goes, I was so surprised at how different it was to live there instead of just vacationing there. Surprise, I like mangoes. Surprise, I do not like papayas. They taste like a big toe. Surprise, this is what a banana tastes like when it's ripe off the vine. It's totally different. Surprise, in Costa Rica, there are parasites. Surprise, I just poop my pants in public because of that parasite. Surprise, and when you get antibiotics in Costa Rica, sometimes they hand you the syringe and you have to give yourself the shot. Surprise, I never learned to speak Spanish very well. Surprise, I just told this person my son has seven anuses because I can't speak Spanish very well. Surprise, 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 okay? Here's the good news. 
Jesus didn't just vacation here on earth. He didn't just visit here. He lived among us, so there's nothing about our human experience that surprises him. No temptation, no difficulty, no heartache. And he speaks our language. He's fluent with us. So when we pray to him, we not only know he hears us, but he actually understands us. And there's no situation that's going to surprise him or repulse him or scare him away from us. It's so great to have a God like that, isn't it? What a gift to us on Christmas. I'm going to pray today, if you want to bow your heads and close your eyes, but I'm going to pray a prayer that other people pray. It's a written prayer, and it's actually entitled, How Filled with Awe. I love this prayer. If you ever want a copy of it, let me know, and I'll I'll give one to you. But let's pray this prayer. Days pass, and the years vanish, and yet we walk sightless among miracles. Lord, fill our eyes with seeing and our minds with knowing. Let there be moments when your presence, like lightning, illumines the darkness in which we walk. Help us to see wherever we gaze that the bush burns unconsumed and we, clay that is touched by God, will reach out for holiness and exclaim in wonder, how filled with awe is this place, and yet we did not know it. Yes, thank you, Lord, and thank you for Christmas, a day that takes us to that place of wonder. And all the people said, amen. Thank you, guys. Have a glorious week of Christmas. We want to put faces to names in this church, so please hang out. There's a cathedral in Notre Dame back there. We're not going to light it on fire. We're going to eat it. And there's a lot of other cookies, too. Please mill around here, and hopefully the water is hot, so it's hot chocolate, not medium hot chocolate. But mill around here. Meet a new person. Let that be another gift to you this Christmas, and we'll see you here next week. Have a great week. God bless.